Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the WTOC Sports Podcast. I'm Jake Wallace alongside Tim Guidera on this Veterans Day. Thanks to everyone who served. And also this Masters Eve. Tim, the most unusual Masters in history. It'll be, it's your 29th. It's my ninth time covering the Masters. And this one is obviously going to be different. You and I not on the course for the first time in a number of years, but still kind of able to follow along what's going on so far. And what's stuck out to you just through this unusual week of a November Masters with no patrons? For a lot of people, I, I think you and I certainly uh, not being there is the most unusual. Uh, did I disappear? Are we okay? Yeah, we're good. But, um, you know, I mean, I've been there every year since 1992. So you know, not being there in April was unusual. Not being there now when they're playing the Masters is unusual. But I think for most people, it's going to be how the golf course looks, even on television, because we're going to see fall colors instead of spring colors. We're going to see a lot more of the golf course without fans out there. You're going to be able to see across fairways. And Lance Barrow, the producer of CBS's coverage of this, has already said you will see new camera angles, that he is encouraging his uh, camera folks to get out into fairways, up on top of greens, you know, as close as they can to the action, which typically they can't do at Augusta. Uh, so people are going to see a different Augusta. It's almost going to be like being a guest there of a member because this is the way that you would see it if you played it any other time than during Masters Week. Yeah, we've heard a number of the players talk about the the lack of patrons and the lack of rulers. And I, the thing I found interesting was from Brooks Kepke, uh Tuesday, and he said, standing on the first tee, you can see the whole course. You can see everything. And he said, I'm not used to that. It feels like you're playing a practice round on a Sunday. But even then, there's already grandstands. You know, this is going to be – I think a really unique experience. And I think that's going to be the most different, the most odd thing about this 2020 for the viewer or the golf fans perspective is like you said, we're going to see this course in a way we've never seen it before. And I think that's going to be exciting, but it's also going to be really, really odd and different. And so Tim, I wanted to ask you what you think is going to impact the players the most. And I'll give you a couple options here. Will it be, the fact that it's in November. So we're going to have some different grass. We've heard all about how the greens are playing a little differently. Is it going to be that lack of patrons and the changes in the sight line and the changes in targets possibly for some of these guys, or is it going to be the forecasted wet weather that we're most likely going to see Thursday and Friday for the first and second rounds? I think it will be the weather because the weather will affect the conditions and conditions are always the biggest factor to players. Uh, the wet fairways are going to give longer players even more of an advantage than they typically have at Augusta National. Wet greens are going to allow players to attack pins in a way that they don't at Augusta National. You know, we may see some low scoring, at least in the first couple days. They will get this course firm by Sunday, but it's going to take some time. You know, we all know about that sub-air system they have that pulls moisture out of the, the course. That doesn't take standing water away, though. So there's, it's supposed to be thunderstorms tomorrow. Good chance they don't finish tomorrow's round or start on time. So that sub-air system can't pull standing water off of greens. So they're going to have to let that be squeegeed off. Uh, could affect a d- delay in play. So that might affect players, uh, you know, kind of inconsistent timing and everything. Uh, but then they will get it firmed up. Uh, I think for some veteran players, 
just the whole timeline into this will be different because if you've been playing at the Masters for 10, 15, 20 years, you start your year getting ready for the Masters. Now you're ending your year with the Masters. You had a several week break from the end of last season, if you want to call it, but you know, they're still expecting to go to Augusta National in April. So they'll be thrown a little bit by that. The fans, I think it's all affecting them now. That's what's different for them now. They've been playing golf without fans for five months. When they get out there Thursday, even the Masters will just be a golf tournament to them. And now if they make a birdie on Sunday and don't hear anything, that will be very different. Uh, and the fan, that's for some players like a, a Tiger Woods, certainly when, who are just kind of cheered on by the fans and you usually use that for momentum. That could be an issue. But overall, I think the whole absence of patrons will, will stop to be an issue once the tournament starts. I think so too, but I think it will be odd for everyone. I, you know, especially the viewers, those, those roars are real. And, and until you're on the course, until you've been there, that sounds cliche, that sound, but it, it's a real thing. Those roars mean something at Augusta. The players use them to kind of understand what's going on as they come down the stretch on Saturday and Sunday to not hear those. I think is going to be the, the most different thing about the viewing experience besides absolutely what we see on TV. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, I've thought the, the golf that has been played since the restart in June has been fairly boring on television without fans there. Uh, you don't get that reaction. You don't get that reward for a great shot that you would typically hear. I think that changes this week though, because golf fans are so familiar with Augusta national. They know every shot they can, take a great shot this year and put it in context to 1986 or to 1997 or to any of their favorite years. So there will be a little bit more enjoyment out of it. There won't be that buzz though around the golf course. And certainly, you know, that the, the, the sound of Augusta, unlike any other sporting event that you can tell what's going on a mile away from where it's happening. Well, you want to talk about buzz. There's one guy that has <laughs> the buzz of the pre-tournament. He's the odds-on favorite in Las Vegas, and it's uh, Mr. Down with the Thickness himself, Bryson DeChambeau, who is the question coming into this tournament all week, Tim, is can this guy overpower Augusta National the way he did Wingfoot on his way to a U.S. Open title by multiple shots? We heard from Bryson yesterday he said, I'm hitting a lot of wedge shots into par fours. I'm hitting a lot of low irons into the par fives. He may try a 48-inch driver this week just to get a little bit extra into what he's doing. That's going to be the spectacle this week is Bryson. Can he do to this course what's never really been done in terms of the length and the power that he can show off the tee? Yes, he can uh, because – Augusta National is more susceptible to length than a lot of golf courses. You mentioned Wingfoot. Wingfoot is not a course that you can typically overpower. There's a lot of dog legs. There's a lot of sh target shots. Augusta National, as, as a major championship course, you can pretty much hit it wherever you want, and then just you have to get it to the green. So his strength, obviously, is length. His approach shots are not the best. Now, he had a week of weeks at Wingfoot. So if he – Hits the ball like that again, yes, he'll he'll run away from the field. But you know, they this field, this tournament would have been overpowered 20 years ago if they didn't change it from Tiger, because Tiger was on his way to doing what DeChambeau is doing now. Jack Nicholas hit the ball 20 yards further than everybody in his day. So you know, they 
he he can put it in position. You know, I think he said yesterday the longest club he hit into a par five this week was a six iron to number eight, hit pitching wedge to number 13. For what it's worth, Tiger Woods hit pitching wedge into 13 in 1997. Um, he hit, he can drive number three, DeChambeau said he, this year. He had 110 yards into 18, which is just a little flip shot for him. There have been long guys out there before. He's hitting it long and straight and long and where he wants to, which is a big difference. But he also had a great putting week at the U.S. Open. If and he, he has, touched, yeah, he if he touched on that yesterday. Week, yeah, if he doesn't have a great putting week this week, he had a great chipping week at the U.S. Open too. If he doesn't bring both of those components, he can hit it as long as he wants. And Augusta National is still a position golf course. You still have to be on the greens where you give yourself an opportunity not to three-putt, first of all, but then also to make putts. Yeah, DeChambeau yesterday, yesterday kind of touched on that. Someone asked him, you know, can you go through your round and tell us what you were hitting into the into the <laughs> holes? And, and he basically did, which if you've been around pro golfers or ever seen them interview, that's not untypical. They know every shot they hit every day. But I thought the, the telling part was what he said afterwards – and here's what DeChambeau had to say about his length and about his power. Again, I can hit it as far as I want to, but it, it comes down to putting and chipping out here. You know, that, that is one of the things that I think people sometimes struggle to see. Um, as much as I can gain an advantage off the tee, I still have to putt it well and, and chip it well and wedge it well and even iron play it well. And that's what I did at the U.S. Open. If I don't putt it well at the U.S. Open, if I don't wedge it well, if I don't, if my iron's close, I don't win that tournament. So it, it always comes down to making the putts at the end of the day. So, Tim, Bryson is the odds-on favorite, but I think the other major story coming into this week is the defending champ, Tiger Woods, who 19 months after winning his fifth green jacket in what will be, I think, his career-defining victory is back as the defending champ. I think everyone is kind of up in the air on if Tiger can do it again. There's only been three instances of back-to-back -back winners. Tiger the last to do it in 2001 and 2002. But we've seen Tiger do it, obviously, a year ago. What do you think about how he's going to play this year in, as you mentioned, it's not his usual routine he has not exactly played particularly well in 2020, but this is a course that seems to, at points, fix what ails Tiger. You know, last year had such a feeling of completion. It was as if it was the end parentheses to 1997, you know, that his defining moment of his early career came at Augusta National. His defining moment, perhaps, of his late career would be very fitting if it was last year at Augusta National with that tremendous win. You know, he hasn't had anywhere close to the same form that he had on Sunday last year, and he didn't play great all last year during the Masters. He kind of sprayed it a little bit, and it was almost more like a Jack Nicklaus major championship win where people just fell out of his way. Jack has been on record for years of saying he more people lost major championships to him than he won. And that's really what happened last year with everybody kind of blowing up on number 12 and hitting the ball in the water. But, you know, there are just some players who step on that first tee five shots better than when they got in the parking lot. You know, uh, Nicholas was certainly one of them. Fred couples, Phil Mickelson plays well there all the time. If Tiger were to contend in another major at this point in his career, 
I think you would have to say it's the Masters because of the familiarity, because of the, the good energy he gets there, uh, because the other golf courses tend to just be too strenuous for him. Uh, you know, he was not a factor in any of the other majors. Um, so it's, you'd like to say that he has a chance, but the funny thing is, you know, he's held the jacket for what, 19 months now. He's almost an afterthought thought as the defending champion coming into this tournament. So if anything, this has taught us is that COVID is the first thing that can overshadow Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah. And, and four protein shakes a day that, that helps yeah. as well. So Tim, I'll go ahead and ask you, and, and we'll do our picks here, and, and you and I both know picking a golf tournament can be yeah. a little bit, you know, strange. We're guessing. Yeah, absolutely, but we're going to try to make some educated guesses here, and, and I'll ask you, first off, who, who's your pick to win, and, and maybe a reason why? You know, it's very tempting to take DeChambeau. I mean, he looks even bigger and, and certainly much more fit than he did when we saw him seven weeks ago when the U.S. Open. Um he, you know, he said par for him on this golf course is 67. So in his mind, he's starting the week at 20 under par. <laughs> but uh, it's, I think it's a little too easy to pick him, though. I think there's just too many things that can happen to take him away. Uh, Dustin Johnson very quietly back up to number one in the world. Terrell Hatton probably playing the best golf of anybody. Uh, Rory McIlroy, what is this, his sixth chance now to complete the career Grand Slam at Augusta. Comes in with a different perspective. Yeah, he has won two major championships by 10 shots in soft conditions like they might have this week. Rory could be a good pick. I'm just going to go off the charts a little bit. This is a guy he's among the favorites and say maybe this is the week that Justin Thomas puts everything together um, mm -hmm. because he hits it plenty far to, to keep up with most players. And he has a tremendous short game. He hits the ball close to the hole a lot. And when he makes putts, he makes a bunch of them. So he's a guy who can go out and shoot 63 for a couple of days in a row in a blink. And if he is able to do that early in the week, you know, maybe he separates a little bit. But uh, if I had to pick a winner, I, I'll just to throw a dart, I would say Justin Thomas. That was a guy that was on my list as well. And I'm going to give you some, some stats on why. This is from uh, Justin Ray on Twitter, at Justin Ray Golf. The last five years at the Masters. The leaders in strokes gained at the approach, 2015, Jordan Spieth, 2016, Danny Willett, 2017, Justin Rose, 2018, Jordan Spieth, 2019, Tiger Woods. Three winners in that group, a second and a third. That shot is as critical. It's iron play that matters a lot when you come down to the nitty-gritty here at Augusta, and there might not be a better iron player in the world than Justin Thomas. Has not had a top 10 at Augusta this year or in his career has Thomas in four starts, but he has improved every single year. I think the key Tim for, for Thomas in, in 2020, can he get off to a good start? All four first rounds in his career have come over par. So you don't want to put yourself kind of working from behind early. If he can get out to a good start, especially Thursday when it's wet and there are some chances to really go at greens he might go out there and, as you mentioned, throw a 66, 67 on the board early and really put himself in position. I like the pick of Thomas. I We want to go off the board. Did I steal I, your pick again? I did that at the Heritage. I, I was not going to say it this time, but, yeah. But he, he is such a good pick. It's hard to not like him. I like Dustin this week as well. 
you know, I, I looked at his press conference yesterday. You mentioned DeChambeau says the par is 67 for him. Dustin responded with that to that question yesterday with, well, it says 72 on the card, so that's what I write down. Um, I like Dustin this week. He's got great form, but if I want to go with a pick and if you're going to take Thomas from me, how about the guy who is second in 2020 in strokes gained on the approach? It's kind of a cardinal sin. You don't pick a rookie at the Masters, but what about Colin Morikawa? The guy who won at the PGA Championship is a star in the making and told told reporters earlier this week, no course on earth scares me, and this kid's got the game to back it up. So if, if we're going to go with Thomas for the reasons that we mentioned in those approach shots and his iron play, Morikawa's a guy in the same kind of form. Can he overcome the learning the, the ropes while out there on the course? Possibly. It hasn't been done in a long time, uh, but Colin Morikawa certainly has the game to do it. Tim will take Thomas. I will go Morikawa with our, our picks to win. How about a dark horse or two, Tim? You got one? You know, I was actually going to use this guy as my overall pick until you said that you wanted a dark horse too. So, I mean, it's hard to call this guy a dark horse. He's already a star on the PGA Tour, but I just love Matthew Wolf's game. And he's another guy who gets on a roll and he can, he can just go with it. Once he starts playing well, he can really run away and hide, and he's just a guy that I, I, I have a feeling about is going to play well. You know, you mentioned first-timers. I think Fuzzy Zeller is the only one since the first Masters in 1979 to, to win there. You know, everything else is different this year. Why don't we go different with a first-timer and uh, call Matthew Wolf kind of a dark horse who is actually among the, the favorites. I think he's in the top 15 or 20 of the favorites, and what are his odds? I've got his odds written down here somewhere. Uh, well, 33 to one, he's about 20th list of, of, uh, but far enough out of the lead that we, we can call him dark horse. A guy who played in the final pairing at the U S open kind of ran into the Bryson buzzsaw and has played particularly well in majors this year. I like that pick of Matthew Wolf. I got two. I'm going to go one Louis Oosthuizen, a guy who just always seems to be in the mix at major championships He's made six of the last seven cuts at the Masters. He's got four top 25 finishes since 2014, and seven of his last eight rounds at Augusta National have been under par. Louis is a guy who knows this course. He's played it really well, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and if he hangs around like he always does, who knows what could happen on Sunday. And then it's hard to call this guy a dark horse considering you know he won the tournament two years ago, but how about Patrick Reed? His game is – in pretty good form. His short game is among the best in the world when it's on point. He's got top 15 finishes in each major this year. And oh, by the way, he's played this course in the fall when he was a golfer at Augusta State University. So I think there's some 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 leverage there for a guy like Reed, who is going to be as confident as anybody on the course. And when his game is on, he's got the game to back it up. So I like Oosthuizen and Reed as maybe some dark horse picks. If you want to throw another past champion out there as a possible dark horse, uh, Bubba Watson, you know, obviously two-time winner and has all the elements that are going to be needed this year. Length, hits the ball a mile in the air. And again, another guy that when he puts well, he puts very well. So it's, yeah, he would, he would I, I don't know that I would call a two-time Masters champion a dark horse at Augusta National, but, you know, if you want to throw somebody on there, he's another guy as well. 
he wins in even years, 2012 and 2014. Here we are in 2020. Why not do it? Tim, thanks for doing this. This is going to be an unusual, different Masters week, but it is a Masters week, and it's one of the best weeks on the sports calendar. Enjoy, I guess, watching the tournament from home for <laughs> a different uh, a different perspective. Uh, really looking forward to the tournament this week. Yeah, you know, that'll be the big difference for you and I is we will see more of this Masters than any other that we covered because, you know, we're not digging ditches, but we're busy all day when, when we're at the Masters. You don't get to see a lot of golf. Uh, when when you're, you're doing what we do there. I'm going to enjoy sitting in front of the television, uh, watching a lot of this. Other than when I'm using my television as a monitor for morning break, the Golf Channel has been on all week in my house, and it will continue to be until CBS picks up the coverage on the weekend. Hey, it's we should gonna... also know about our extended coverage. Absolutely. We're going to have some Around the Green specials coming to you Thursday night and Friday night during the news at 7. Tim Guidera, Lindsay, and I will be – uh, looking at what happened during the day of the Masters, and we'll also be bringing you some of the stories from around the course as well. We won't be there for the first time in who knows how many years, but we'll still be bringing you coverage from inside the ropes. Uh, really looking forward to, to this week's Around the Green specials. It'll be Thursday and Friday night during V News at 7. Be sure to tune in for that. And then, Tim, the weekend, of course, coverage on CBS. Remember, everyone, they're trying to beat the darkness in November. So early morning starts, get your cup of coffee and, and get it over uh, to, to WTFC and, and check out the Masters this week. Um, it's going to be one to remember. It's already one to remember, and there hasn't even been a tee shot hit. Tim, thanks for doing this. Remember, we'll see everybody Thursday night during our Around the Green special. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you.